So I am Pastor John. No, I'm not. Sorry. Um, um, that actually fits pretty well with the message today, and you'll see why in a minute. But um, anyway, um, but uh, no, um, I am not Pastor John. But uh, but uh, we're going through a series right now about uh, some of our uh, fathers of faith. I guess is a good way to describe it, or people of faith that we can emulate our lives after. Uh, in the book of Hebrews. And so today, uh, Pastor John asked me if I would speak today to you about a certain character in the Bible who, honestly, when you look at the Bible and what it says about him, there's not a lot. And because of that, um, there's actually a lot of speculation about this man. Um, And there's been a lot of things that have happened uh, since that time that have brought more and more speculation through the years. So, um, but you know, just as a recap of last week a little bit, you know, Pastor John talked about Abel. And how he was commended for his faith because of the sacrifice that he gave to God. And unfortunately for Abel, that actually led to an untimely death by the hands of his brother who got jealous of him and then killed him. So uh, kind of a sad story. And, and honestly, you read that at the beginning of Hebrews and you're like, okay, okay, so the way to get commended for my faith is I have to do something really good for God that then gets me killed? I mean, that doesn't sound very good. So, so then the next example that they give is in Hebrews 11 verse Five, and it just says this that I'm going to look down here. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And, and I'm not going to talk about the next verse just yet, but but just so so Enoch, and, and again, this is what we know about Enoch. For some reason, he never died. He was taken away. Because of his faith. So you had Abel who died because of what he did out of faith. And then you have Enoch who didn't die. And so now you're like, okay, so I can, I can go with that one. I'd rather be that guy, maybe. Um, but uh, so, so talking about Enoch, the problem with Enoch, there's, again, there's a lot of speculation. So let me just kind of clear the air a little bit about that. I just want to make that clear. Because he never saw death, he's one of two people in the Old Testament that, that we know of or we believe, never saw death. And I say we believe because the other one, they don't really say he didn't die. They just said he was taken away by a chariot of fire. And that's Elijah from uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 11. So, so according to what we understand, both he and Enoch never died. And they're the only two people in the Old Testament that we know about. Now then, some people would argue, well, we have one in the New Testament, and that's Jesus. But Technically, he died, but then he rose again, and now he's, he's in heaven. So, um, so some people might look at him as a third person that, that, you know, that is still alive in that regard. But um, so just to want to talk a little more about Enoch. So, so there are basically, there's really probably about four passages in the whole Bible that actually talk about Enoch. Um, I'm going to deal with two of them today, like really talk about how we can apply what we learn from them and how to, how to use those in our lives. But I do want to at least mention the other two. One of them is a very simple one. It's in Matthew where it talks about the genealogy of Christ. And so Enoch is, of course, in that line. He's mentioned again just that he fathered Methuselah, and that's all it says about him. So there's very little information given in Matthew. And another passage, and this is the tricky one. This is the the one that causes a lot of speculation. A lot of people have their thoughts. Is in Jude, verses 14 and 15, where it just talks about how he prophesied against the generation and things that he said. The, The thing with that particular reference is that a lot of people believe it is quoting a book called Enoch, the book of Enoch, which I just want to, again, clarify, it is not in the Bible. So, and a lot of people think, and I've heard this, and as I was reading and doing research this week, a lot of people think, well, they took Enoch out of the Bible. 
No, it was never put in the Bible to begin with. <laughs> but a lot of people think, well, it should have been because it's this guy Enoch who never died. And, you know, we can learn from him, right? The problem is there's really three problems with the book of Enoch. And again, I just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but just so you know, and I'm happy to talk to you more about it if you have questions or, or thoughts or whatever. Definitely done a lot of research about it. But um, number one is that the book of Enoch was not written by Enoch. Um, it was written over a course of hundreds of years, and the material changes. And if you ever read the book of Enoch, which I did read that this week just to kind of get a better understanding of what people were saying, um, it really is kind of all over the place. And, and, and it's called, there's a very funny or fancy name called pseudepigraphical. It's a hard word. But it just means it's someone who claims to be the author, but they are not. It's like me coming up here today and saying, I'm Pastor John. Those of you who've been around here for a while know that I'm not. Now, there may be a few people in the audience that are new here today, and you're like, oh, that's Pastor John. No, it's not. I just, you know, again, I'm not Pastor John. But the point is, um, it's someone who claimed to be who he was not and wrote the book. Or maybe several authors really is probably what we believe. So that's the first problem with the book of Enoch. The second problem is that it, it's not accurate. Like, there's a lot of parts in it that do sound historical. They do sound like they could be true. But then there's other parts that just don't add up. They don't make sense. And definitely the author of the book of Enoch does claim to be the very same Enoch that we're talking about today. But, again, it doesn't add up. And so it was not considered scripture because the author couldn't be proven. And it was not historically accurate at the time. And then the third reason that um, probably, again, that we should just be wary of stuff like this, um, it was apocryphal, which apocryphal books are known as they're called the Apocrypha for a reason. They are thought to be good stories or thoughts or whatever, but they're fiction. You read them like fiction. You don't read them as fact. And so you got to remember that these things were just written at a time where they were talking about things and they were, you know, just sharing ideas that, that people thought, oh, that sounds good or that makes sense. And, and in reality, it just didn't fit into what the Bible was teaching. So it was not accepted as the Bible. And one other thing about it, um, when they quote um, Jude 14 and 15, that's, that's probably the hardest part. Is, and it could be that it is a quote from Enoch 1. And so some people are like, well, why would he quote it and it be in the Bible if it's not the authoritative word of God? Well, it's not the first time or the only time in Scripture where something is quoted that's not actually in the Bible. Paul actually did the same thing in Titus 1.12 when he mentions a philosopher at the time named, I believe his name is Epimedid, Epimenides, it's a hard word. So, But he was a Greek philosopher at the time, and Paul quotes him right there in Scripture. So does that make Epimenides uh, a scholar, someone that we should quote, that he's authoritative? The word? No, it doesn't. It just means it's something that everybody recognized at the time, and he used it as an example. And I think that's the same thing that Jude does with Enoch. So again, not going to say more about it. Other than that, that's kind of a sidestep. But to focus on what we do know about Enoch, what is true about Enoch, and how we can use that to remind ourselves how to be, have the faith that like Enoch had, I think that's where we want to go now. So, um, the two passages we do want to talk about is, first of all, Hebrews 11, 5, and 6. And now I will uh, read verse 6 to you. And it says this right after it said this about Enoch and how he was taken away. It says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so again, it, it, it ties in well with who Enoch is. And it says that basically Enoch pleased God with his faith because he believed in God 
and knew that God would reward him for diligently seeking him. And again, that's really the key phrases, the key words about who Enoch was that we also should learn to apply to our life. And, and, and again, the other passage, now that's the main passage we're really talking about today, but I want to look also at the original passage about Enoch, which is found in Genesis. So if you have your Bibles and would turn there, it's Genesis chapter 5. And uh, it starts with verse 18, and it's talking about these genealogies again. Um, these are all the people that were born after Adam. And so it says in Hebrews um, chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, it says that Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. So there's our first mention of Enoch in the Bible, the very first reference to who he was as a person. And then, the very, um, as you fast forward, it then talks about how he lived and everything else. Um, but then, if you, like it says, Enoch lived 65 years, begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. And then, as it says in the very next verse, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention or if you read this passage, you notice that every person that lives during that time period was living to be like 900, 800. I mean, and then all of a sudden it's 365 years and it's like, whoa, he didn't live as long as everybody else. But then the very next verse says this, or sorry, maybe it's not on there. So... Give me one second. I will pull it up old-fashioned way. Um, but the next verse talks about Enoch's life, and it says that... It says, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Then it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And again, the very phrase, he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So that's where, when we read that, we're like, well, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean he walked with God and then he was not, for God took him? So again, um, if you look back in the very first translation of the Bible after Hebrew, so in the original language of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were all written in the language Hebrew. Well, then, over time, they decided, we want to translate that to Greek, especially for a lot of the Greek speakers of the day. So they came up with a version called the Septuagint. You may have heard that name. Um, usually, it's denoted with some letters like LXX is what they say because it's rep recognizing the 70 authors that authored those books according to their, you know, that worked in that translation to translate it to Greek. So when they did that, um, that phrase, Enoch walked with God, um, they use that phrase to also then later on, whenever they talked about the Hebrews, it's the very same phrase that's used with um, the fact that he was pleasing to God. So, so Enoch's walk with God was pleasing to God. Those two things go hand in hand. And when we're talking about Enoch, that's what we need to understand is because he was so pleasing to God, God chose to take him and bring him with him. Again, we don't know why. We, you know, there's no one else in the scripture other than Elijah that we know was taken out at an earlier time. And so other than we know, he was pleasing to God. And so that's where we have to land. So what does it mean that he was pleasing to God? What does it mean that he walked with God in the way that he did? So again, that phrase, walked with God. Um, I want to do a little exercise with you here. 
So like I said, in the original language, it was in Hebrew. So the word, and I just, you know, this is, this is a good exercise for you. I'm going to teach you all a Hebrew word. Can you all speak Hebrew? Anybody want to try? Here's, here's how it goes. The word is, the word walked is weyitalek. Can you all say that? Come on. Yeah. You need a little phlegm in the end there. You know, it's weyitalek. And, and don't use the microphone. It's just it's like I'm, yeah, you get to use it after me. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. But, but again, the word, and, and, and I thought, oh, that sounds like a really fancy word, and I wonder what it means. You know, we, John talks a lot about what do words mean, and what is, what is that in the original language? You will never believe what that word means. It means, yes, it means to walk. It means walking. It's just as simple as what it says. It is just walking with God, and it's used several times. It's used twice in this Genesis passage to talk about Enoch and his relationship with God, and it says he walked with God. And, and again, like I said, it was translated later into the Septuagint, into Hebrews, in the Hebrews passage when it says that Enoch pleased God. That's the same phrase, but it's just used in a different language. So anyway, but it is a very strange word. Um, and I thought, well, that has to have some deep meaning, but it's not. It's just very simple. So going back to Hebrews 11, verse 6, I just want to kind of go back to that before we move on to the other verses, if y'all don't mind pulling that back up. Um, but Hebrews eleven six, 6, um, like it says again here, here's how Enoch was commended for his faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, it's, it's interesting too, um, this passage and, and different translations say it a little bit differently, especially in the English um, but one of the things that I just thought was really important, you know, the, the prerequisites for faith is what I would say this passage tells us, this, this verse tells us. Number one, we must believe he exists. And number two, that he rewards those who seek him. And so Enoch, again, going back to Enoch, he walked with God. And that walk was pleasing to God. And that's what we know. And then because of that walk, God did not allow him to experience death, but took him to be in his presence. And the reason for that is because he believed in God and he chose to draw near to God, knowing God would reward him for seeking him. So again, when I think about who Enoch was, what he did, then I say, how can we be like that? What do we need to do to have a walk like Enoch? Well, first of all, I want to point out a couple of things. Enoch did not have what we have today. (laughs) So Enoch at the time when he walked with God, what did he have to know God by? All he had was his fathers, his forefathers, all the people that had come before him and their relationship with God. That's the only example he had. He didn't have the Bible. So understand this is Genesis 5 when it first talks about Enoch. So it wasn't written yet. This, the Bible wasn't written. So he couldn't read the Bible to better know and understand who God was. So what did Enoch have that made his walk pleasing to God? And again, All we can do is speculate because the Bible doesn't clearly lay it out, but it has to be that he, I'm assuming he talked with God. I'm assuming he prayed to God. I'm assuming he lived his life in such a way that he was pleasing to God. And all he had to go on was what his forefathers had taught him. And so when I think about that, I'm like, wow, that's amazing to me that this man walked so closely to God that that God was, was pleased with him. And when I look at us today, I'm like, we have so much more than he had when he had, 
when he was walking the earth. Because we have the Bible. We have the whole Bible. And that helps us know who God is. And yes, we can also pray with God. We can walk with God. We can talk with God. But I think we have advantages today that Enoch did not have in his day. And that's where I think sometimes as believers, as Christians, we take that for granted. We don't even think about the fact that, wow, I have this Bible and it helps me know how to understand who God is, but I don't really read it enough or I don't really practice what I'm reading or apply it to my life or I don't think about how these verses should be played out in my day-to-day life. And so I just want to challenge you here today to think, how can we do a better job with the Bible? And how do we walk with God like Enoch? Again, our best way to walk with him is through scripture and prayer. And I think, you know, just talking about the Bible and what it means, you know, one of the first things that I I think about with what the scriptures are is a, a verse in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, um, it's just a great reminder of what Scripture is for us. And it just says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And again, um, man, woman of God, whoever you may be, you can use the Bible in your life to equip yourself to better understand what it is that God wants from you what it is that God needs from you. And I think the Bible is so important for that. Um, Another verse is Psalm 119.11. And uh, this is one of my favorite verses. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, it doesn't say, you know, I've hidden your word and I'm not going to sin, God. This will keep me from sin. It it actually says I might not sin, you know. Maybe it'll help if I hide your word. And, And I will just say this. It does. It absolutely does help. Because when you have God's word in your heart, it helps you to live out what you know and what you believe. And so, again, our faith is strengthened when we hide his word in our heart and we use that to help us to live for him. And then Romans 12, too, is another great verse. And sorry, I'm, I'm going kind of quickly. I know it's all on the screen, so hopefully that makes it easier for you to follow. But in Romans 12, too, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we just got through studying the book of Romans. I've always loved this verse to say, you know, just because everybody else is doing it, we shouldn't do it too. (laughs) You know, don't live like the world around you. But the only way that we can't live like the world around us is, again, this whole idea of transforming our mind, renewing our mind. And, again, how do we do that? We do it by reading God's word, applying it to our life. We do it by asking God to help us to not be like the world around us. Because I don't know about you, but every day I've got messages, I've got people, I've got examples that if I just fall in and follow those examples, it's going to not lead me in the direction that is obedient to Christ. It's not going to lead me in a direction that's good for my life in the long run. And so it's very important to always filter and say, am I conforming to the world or am I choosing to be transformed by what I'm doing? And then, just as another verse, Psalm, again, Psalm 119, great psalm. It's the longest book, or sorry, chapter in the Bible. And uh, it, it takes 16 minutes and I think about 38 seconds if you uh, play it on you version, just so you know. Um, I've been doing that this week a little bit, so uh, that's about how long it is. And it's not terrible, but still, that's a good chunk of time to 
to like listen to something or to read something. But it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, and this is one of my favorite things to talk about because so often whenever we think about, like, like even right now, some of you might be thinking, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, read the Bible, understand it. Great, that's awesome. But where do I start? How do I do that? What, what does that even look like? Because, you know, that doesn't seem very practical to me. And I love this verse because it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Think about that. So definitely back in biblical times, and, and in our day too, if we think about it, if we say it's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, it just shows us enough to make the next step. <laughs> it doesn't show us miles down the road. It just says a lamp to our feet, so now we know we need to walk this way. You know, it's a light to our path. It shows the way we need to go, and that's what we need to do with God's Word. We just need to say, all right, God, I can't read it all at once. I can't get it all in at once. But show me day by day, step by step, what it is I need to do, how I can be obedient to you. And so I, I love that verse for that reason. So um, we have done some challenges before. And this, you know, I'm, I'm not going to check up on you to see whether you're doing it or not. You're welcome to tell me you're doing this. That'd be great. But uh, we've done a 21-day challenge where, where we read through Scripture. Like we've read the book of John in 21 days just to kind of, you know, do a better job of reading Scripture whatever. But I want to challenge you to take 21 days, and, and there, there's nothing special about 21 days other than some people believe, and it's been kind of thought that you practice something for 21 days and you really kind of own it a lot more. You make it more part of your life. It becomes a habit. Um, I, don't, I think it, 21 days is maybe the minimum. Um, you may need to do it a lot longer. Some of us who are older, especially like me, um, it might take more than 21 days before it really becomes a habit. So uh, however long you can do it, I think is great. But, um, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to ask you to just pick a passage of Scripture, any passage that is an area where you might need to work on you. And it can be something as simple as one verse. And just encourage you to meditate on that verse for 21 days. Now, make sure you read it at least once a day. Honestly, if it's one verse, you can do that a lot more than once a day. So I would encourage you to do it more than once a day, maybe twice, three times, four times a day. Anything like that to where you really start kind of soaking it in and what it means and how it can help you. And so, so like one example of a good verse that you could use is this Hebrews 10, verse 12. And it says, um, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And so that's one thing you could do. You could take that verse and say, all right, I want to read this every day for 21 days, and I want to ask God, maybe as you're reading it, pray, and ask God to help you apply that to your life. How do I get to the place where I can walk in his ways, love him, serve him with all my heart and with all my soul? And just keep meditating, praying, asking God to help you do that. So for 21 days, if that's what you want to do, pick that verse. That's a great verse. Another good one might be Micah 6, 8 where it says, uh, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking up what those, verse, what those words mean. What does it mean to do justly? What does it mean to love mercy? And what does it mean to walk humbly? All of those could be great things for you to, again, say, God, help me to be this kind of person. Help me to be someone that, that is being just. 
and loving mercy and walking humbly. And just use that and apply it to your life. Again, 21 days, pick that verse, use that verse and do it. Another good one, and this one is one that I, I quote a lot, honestly, in, in a lot of the counseling that I see um, with, with couples. I'm, I'm always saying, you know, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, actually, uh, another way to say it is if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. But if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. Um, again, different translations say it differently. But the point is, um, if I'm sowing to my flesh, again, giving in to whatever is coming my way that's not necessarily godly, I'm going to reap corruption from that. Um, and it can be little things, just over and over little things, or it can be bigger things. But the point is, you want to sow to the Spirit and reap eternal life. Um, so, so find ways to sow to your Spirit. And again, that comes back to understanding who God is and what He wants for you. And sowing to your Spirit, again, it's prayer, it's meditation, it's, it's seeking God, it's uh, just taking the time to focus on Him versus on the world around you and the circumstances you're in. But to find your peace and your, and your joy in Him. Um, and then another one verse that you could possibly focus on is very similar to that. First John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And, you know, again, it's, it's kind of the same idea that, that as long as we're in the light and we're, we're doing the right thing, then his blood covers and cleanses us. But the antithesis of that is if we walk in the darkness, then it's hard for that blood to cover and cleanse us from sin because we're living in darkness. We're not seeking the Lord. And so, again, those might be verses that you could do. So, and, and, and that's, that's all that I have on the slideshow. Now, um, Pastor John told me that uh, we can give you, I've got several other passages that uh, we're going to put on social media this week for you. If you would rather go deeper or further, like uh, more, more meat to it or more to meditate on, more to pray about, um, I mentioned Psalm 119. That's something I just decided um, earlier this week. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I don't, I don't think about it very much, but I'm going to listen to this Psalm over and over and over. And uh, I was telling John, I said that uh, I've listened to it now. I think every day, except for today, I haven't done it today yet, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> but I've listened to it every day, at least twice a day. So that's at least 30 minutes that I dedicated just to hearing that verse and meditating on what it says or the chapter. But again, it's, it's a lot. That one's probably one of the biggest ones you could take, but Psalm 119, it just talks about taking God's word, hiding it in your heart, being obedient to God's word, reminding yourself that he's leading us day by day, step by step, and looking for ways to just think about that and meditate on it. Um, another great passage, this is one of my favorite passages. I think I keep saying that over and over. I must have too many favorites to really, maybe by the time it gets watered down. But, but Philippians 2 verses 3 through 8 is all about putting other people first. And so if that's a struggle for you, Philippians 2, 3 through 8 is excellent for that because the very first verse says do nothing from selfishness or vain conceit but in humility consider others more important than yourself i think that's a great great verse for our world today um i always like to say that if if everybody acted like that we would not have the problems we have in our society but um but anyway philippians 2 3 through 8 is a good one or ephesians 6 10 through 18 that's about the armor of god it says put on the armor of god so that you will be able to stand against the devil and his schemes and you'll be able to resist temptation when it comes. So again, that's another great passage. Meditate on that. And like I said, if you do this for 21 days, you might be really surprised at what God does in that in your heart and in your life. 
But, and, and I know that that, again, you, some of you may be thinking, well, I'm too busy for that, or I've got too much going on, and, and I get it, and that's why I would say, don't take on more than you can handle with this, but, but you know what? We prioritize what's important to us, and if your job, your desire is to truly be closer to God, if your desire is to walk with God like you want to, this 21-day challenge is nothing. It really isn't that big of a deal, but Again, and I'm not going to check up on you to see who's doing it or anything like that. But, but I just encourage you, if you want to be stronger, if you want your faith to grow, I think this could be a very useful way to do so. Um, and then Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, 2. I love this little passage because there's an acronym that goes along with it that's easy to remember. And it's the acronym THINK, T-H-I-N-K. Um, and this is just, this is common knowledge. So this is not something I came up with, so don't think that. But, uh, but it just stands for... When we speak, are our words true? Are they helpful? Are they inspiring? Are they necessary? And are they kind? And that's what Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, 2 talk about. You know, is it true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind? If not, maybe we should really think about what we're speaking to other people. And it's, it definitely is a challenge uh, to do a better job with your tongue. So that could be a good one. Um, if uh, if it's go- you're going through something right now, facing a trial, which, which I know many of us are. James 1, 2 through 4 talks about facing trials with the right attitude. It says, consider it all joy when you face trials of various kind, knowing that God's doing something in you through that trial. And so I think, again, those are things that we can use and meditate on for 21 days, and God will help make it more a part of our understanding of who we need to be. James 1, 19 through 20, if you struggle with your anger, it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Again, apply it to your life, own it in your heart so that you can live that in your life. Um, that can be a very useful one if you struggle with anger. And then one that I believe we're going to get to in the series uh, with the faith, because it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, to run the race with endurance, setting our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. All of what this chapter, chapter 11, is talking about, all of these figures of faith that had their faith in God, that's what it says to do. Because we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us do what they did. Let us pursue Christ. Let us pursue a relationship with God that allows us to strengthen that faith. And so all of those are great passages. Like I said, they're not on the screen or anything, but um, if you want those, they'll be on social media for you this week. So please take advantage of that. And, you know, that's just... Those are just some, some examples. There's a lot more in the Bible. If there's other struggles that you have or something you really need help with, um, you know, I, I'll just say this. You, you're welcome to reach out to me and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Here's, do you have any verses or you have any thoughts on something I could meditate on that? I'm happy to give you those. Um, and if I don't know them, which I may not, I will look them up for you and I will find some that could be helpful to you. So I'm, I'm, I'll just offer that as well. Um, but I just encourage you again, you know, make your walk pleasing to God. By seeking him, believe that he's going to reward you for doing so. And one of the best rewards is the ability, I believe, to call scripture to mind to help us in our times of need. And I, and I can't tell you enough. I, I know that memorizing scripture is probably something a lot of people are like, I, I can't do that. I like to challenge men on this because men will usually say, I don't have the memory to memorize scripture. And I'm like, but let me ask you a question. What's your favorite thing? And usually it's something related to sports or football or something, especially in this church, a lot of football people. So, uh, all right, well, then tell me who's your favorite, what's your favorite team? What were their, what, what happened with them this season? They're like, oh, they have this record and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, how'd you memorize that? 
Well, I just, I, I don't know, I just did. I'm like, exactly, because it was important to you. It was easy to remember. And I think it's the same with Scripture. We can just do the same with that, but we have to make it important to us. So, again, my challenge to you, take the next 21 days, find some Scripture that really speaks to you, and really seek to apply it to your life, and see what the Lord does, does in your life to strengthen your faith. Let's pray together. God, we do praise you so much for who you are. We want to thank you for the example that Enoch set for us. And though we know that we will not ever aspire to be uh, to, to live in such a way that will lead us to not die here on earth, Lord, we at least trust you and know, Lord, that you have a desire for us in this. So just pray, Lord, that you help us to be faithful, be obedient, and look for opportunities to worship you through our words, through our actions, and through the things that you just call us to, Lord. Help us to apply this scripture to our hearts. And Lord, I know, again, this this seems like a very daunting thing to ask sometimes, um, but I also believe, Lord, that uh, sometimes we we just need to remind ourselves um, that you are so important to who we want to be. You died for us. You paid the penalty for our sins, and we just want to be more and more like you every day. So help us, Lord, not to give up on pursuing you, um, not to take the easy road of just walking through life and dealing with all the struggles without looking to you like we should. I think so often, Lord, we just kind of go on autopilot. We don't take into consideration all that you ask us to do. So, Lord, I just pray that maybe something in this message today would challenge someone here to really just go take it to the next level of applying your word to their hearts, uh, help them to meditate on the scripture that they need to work on in their own life. And Lord, I know that you continue to show me ways that I can improve, ways that I can be better. And I pray, Lord, that I too, Lord, would just continue just to look to you and 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 not get so caught up with the distractions and the, the busyness of life that I forget to incorporate even what I'm asking everyone else here to do too. And so, Lord, just as we work together through this, I pray, Lord, you bless us. I pray that you strengthen our faith, strengthen our walk with you, that we may be pleasing to you, and that you, Lord, would be glorified and honored in our life in such a way that that it just draws more and more people to you, Lord, because that's really what it's all about. We love you, and we thank you, and just give you all the glory and honor. In your name I pray.